0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. In this segment, we'll go over in detail the symptoms of COVID 19 and what to do if you or a loved one are feel, feeling ill. With me by telephone is Dr. Katie Anderson. She's an assistant professor of medicine at Upstate and an infectious disease epidemiologist. Thank you for making time to talk with HealthLink on Air, Dr. Anderson.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Now, let's start with the symptoms of COVID-19. What are the ones that are most important to know about?
1: Well, COVID-19 is obviously a new virus for us, and we're still evolving in our understanding of it. But what we do know right now, and the good news for, for all of us, is that it does seem to be, for most people, a relatively mild virus. We know that the initial symptoms overlap a lot with flu and other respiratory infections, so people can experience fever, Cough, shortness of breath, but for about 80% of people, if not more, those symptoms will remain mild. It's only for a, a fraction of people that the symptoms can progress, and you may require hospitalization or possibly ICU level care to support your breathing.
0: Well, that's good to know that 80% symptoms are going to be mild. So, can you diagnose this based simply on the symptoms? In other words, if you have a fever and shortness of breath and a cough, should you just assume you have COVID 19? Unfortunately,
1: the symptoms overlap a lot with other respiratory viruses. And in fact, as it started to emerge throughout the United States, we were still winding up our flu season, which was somewhat dramatic this year as well. So a challenge is that when you're seeing somebody in the emergency room in the doctor's office, you can't tell that they have COVID-19 just based upon their respiratory symptoms alone, which is one of the reasons why we really need available testing for everyone. However, given the seriousness of this pandemic and the rate at which it's spreading through communities. We do recommend that if anyone is experiencing respiratory symptoms or a fever, that they treat it as if they have COVID-19 in terms of isolating themselves, washing their hands, and trying to prevent spread to other people.
0: So what if someone has a headache or a runny nose, you know, symptoms of a cold? Do they need to think, oh, wait, this could be COVID? Or, or I mean, it's people still get colds this time of year, right? people still get colds and a
1: whole variety of other types of viruses. And again, what I really want to reassure people is to go back to that 80%. So if you start to get a headache, if you start to get a fever, if you start to get a cough, take a breath. For most people, even if this is COVID and we don't know that it is, could be another virus, for most people, this is really a mild self-limited illness. You'll get through it and you'll get better. It's only if your symptoms get to be more severe If you have a high fever, if your fever continues for a couple of days, if you're having difficulty breathing or other serious symptoms that you need to stop, think, and go get yourself checked out immediately.
0: Can physicians predict uh, among patients, since 80% of the cases are generally mild, can physicians predict the other 20% that are going to need more intensive care?
1: So that's the big question right now, um, particularly because we worry that case numbers will increase. We aren't able to predict with 100% accuracy who's gonna progress and have a severe outcome, but there are certain populations that do seem to be at increased risk of severe disease with COVID-19. So it's clear that individuals older than 80 years have a higher risk of progression to requiring ICU level care, for example, and also a higher risk of death from COVID-19. It's clear that individuals older than 60, so 60 to 80 years old, also have an increased risk of severe disease, but at a lower risk than the older population 80 years and above. Individuals with underlying lung disease, diabetes, heart disease, and immunocompromised states, so individuals with lymphoma or leukemia, individuals who take steroids, for example, they're also at increased risk of severe disease with COVID-19. So these are populations that, number one, need to be trying to reduce their risk of infection at all costs, and number two, need to be monitored very closely closely if they do become infected with COVID-19, for progression to more advanced disease.
0: Now, I want to ask you about the time frame. Um, We've heard a lot in the news about 14-day quarantines. Is that because you're infectious for 14 days? Or talk to me about how that lays out.
1: We're still trying to figure out the total duration of time that a person person is infectious with COVID-19. Right now, the publications are seeming to to suggest that it's on the order of seven days that you're infectious. The 14-day quarantine is really about when most people will likely develop symptoms if they're infected. On average, we think that people develop symptoms between five to seven days after exposure, but that 95% of people will get symptoms within those first 14 days. So it's really trying to say stay home, monitor yourself, quarantine, and if you don't have symptoms by the end of 14 days, you're probably in the clear.
0: So if you have symptoms, you're infectious. You could spread this to other people, correct?
1: It's not really clear. Um, There's some evidence that, concerningly, that you might be infectious before you have symptoms. And then there's also evidence that the clinical course or the amount of time that you're sick with COVID-19 may be somewhat prolonged. And what what I mean by that is that fever and cough may go on for 10 to 12 days. This was seen in Washington with the first case that presented there, and this was also reported in China and Singapore and Hong Kong. But we don't necessarily think that, as individuals are on day 12 of illness, that they're necessarily infectious at the same rates. but this is something that we're studying and will have implications for how we manage patients in the hospital, obviously.
0: Are we sure about how it's transmitted?
1: We're confident at this point that the dominant mode of spread is droplet, so sneezing or coughing and also uh, contamination of environmental surfaces. And what I mean by that is someone coughs into their hand, they touch the doorknob, and someone comes right behind them, touches the doorknob, and then touches their face. That seems clear. There's some other modes of transmission that seem possible, but we don't understand very well yet. So, for example, in some studies in Asia, they did find the virus in stool. And there are some GI symptoms like diarrhea that people can experience with COVID 19, suggesting that possibly there could be fecal transmission, but we don't understand that very well yet.
0: You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Katie Anderson, an assistant professor of both medicine and microbiology and immunology at Upstate, and also an infectious disease epidemiologist. And we're talking about the coronavirus, the disease that causes COVID 19. I also want to let listeners know that an epidemiologist studies uh, how diseases spread. Is that correct? That's right. So I want to ask your advice for people who are starting to experience symptoms. What's what's the best advice for what they need to do?
1: Yeah, thank you for that question because I think it's actually a critical one for us all to be discussing as COVID-19 starts to spread in our communities and there is understandably concern and some anxiety about that. Um, So if someone begins to develop symptoms, and by symptoms, again, we're talking about the relatively vague symptoms of cough, shortness of breath, other flu-like symptoms like sore throat and runny nose, maybe a fever. Again, we'd ask that you remember that most of the time these infections are mild. So if you're not experiencing an illness that otherwise in the non-COVID-19 world would bring you to the emergency room, we ask that you don't go to the emergency room. This is a critical message that we wanna get out to people Because we're concerned that as cases build up, our emergency rooms could get overwhelmed. So, if you're not seriously ill, we ask you to take a deep breath, call your primary care if your level of concern is enough that you feel like you need to reach out to medical professionals, and only go to the emergency room if you're seriously ill, if you're having significant difficulty breathing or other symptoms that are significantly concerning that you feel like you need emergency care. So, I understand that. Many people may not have a primary care physician, and so for those individuals, I would ask them to pay attention to opportunities that are evolving already throughout Syracuse and across the state for alternate sites of testing and triage. We hope to be developing hotlines to facilitate triage and routing these patients to where they can receive care if they don't require emergency care and possibly other innovative means of trying to help them access the healthcare system while keeping our emergency rooms clear for the people who really need it.
0: So if people have symptoms that match up to this and maybe they go to get tested, what do they do in the meantime while they're waiting for the results of that test? So currently
1: as as everyone is aware there's a shortage of of testing, which means that there are some delays in getting the results, and maybe on the order of a couple of days. And currently we're recommending that if someone is not seriously ill enough to need to come into the hospital that they can still that they can go home and wait for their results at home. What they should do during that time is self-quarantine, and by that we mean you're not going out into the community, you're trying to protect transmission, Um, you're not going out into the community, you're trying to prevent transmission to your family members in your home, possibly isolating yourself in a specific room, and trying to uh, disinfect and decontaminate the home as best you can.
0: What measures will help? care for someone who's writing out this virus at home.
1: Our guidelines for management of patients with COVID-19 are still evolving because this is a new virus. And so some of the things that we're reading about um, as possible practices now may change in the future. But right now, some of the things that are coming out in the media and physicians across the country are trying to understand what is the good evidence and how do we go forward. Um, And physicians across the country are trying to sift through a lot of the anecdotal information that's coming out from Washington, from Europe, as physicians are trying to find best practices for managing this virus. There do seem to be some recommendations, again, not evidence-based. By that, I mean not in peer-reviewed literature, not from clinical trials. There are some findings, however, suggesting, as you say, Maybe ibuprofen is something that may be associated with an increased risk of severe disease, Um, possibly avoiding the use of steroids in the hospital, for example. Uh, But these are things that are relatively anecdotal at this time and are the topics of active discussion amongst the physicians who will be caring for these patients.
0: So fluids and rest, I mean, that's what I hear for flu. Is that what is kind of recommended to keep people comfortable with this?
1: So given that most people will have mild illnesses with this, mild respiratory illnesses, you can manage it as you would the flu. Stay home from work. Absolutely stay home from work. Um, Try to avoid transmission to other people and manage your symptoms. Fluids and rest, Tylenol for a headache, cough syrup if you have a cough. I would caution people, however, to be watching for potential progression to a more severe illness. So shortness of breath, chest pain, concerning symptoms such as that, which may indicate that while your illness it started out relatively mild, not requiring emergency care, that that may change over time.
0: So those would be signals that perhaps you do need um, to get to a hospital, uh, shortness of breath if you're getting worse with this. What does the typical course look like if you're the 80% that get a mild version of this? How soon till you start feeling better?
1: It does seem that COVID-19, even in possibly milder cases, may have a somewhat prolonged course. So as I mentioned, that first case in Washington, other case reports from Asia suggest that the fever and cough can go on for several days. So it may be a somewhat prolonged course, but I can reassure people that it should be self-limited. This is not a chronic illness. This is not something that should go on for months. But it may be one to two weeks of feeling relatively poorly with a persistent cough, possibly even intermittent fevers. The main thing we would worry about with COVID-19 is that it seems like the majority of complications for patients that are in the hospital is progression to profound respiratory distress, which means difficulty breathing, difficulty with getting enough oxygen into your blood that would require that you need to go on a ventilator. So the main warning sign that we would watch for would be things related to issues with your breathing. So profound shortness of breath, changes in the person's mental status, so increased confusion, chest pain, warning signs like that.
0: But a person who's recovering at home, uh, even though they it, it may take several days or weeks before they feel better, they still need to self-isolate from family members to try to not spread this to family, right?
1: As best they can, they should isolate themselves from family members to try to prevent spread.
0: So can you explain the difference between self-isolation and social distancing.
1: Self-isolation is what you should do if you're feeling sick, whether or not you are confirmed to have COVID-19 or not. But if you have respiratory symptoms, if you have a fever, self-isolation means that you are keeping yourself in place in your home, trying to minimize contact with others, uh, both within and outside of your home. So that means not going to work, certainly. It means not going out to the grocery store, not mixing with the public, and then within your house, trying to isolate yourself in a specific room if you can, disinfecting your home as you can to try to prevent onward transmission. So self-isolation is when you're sick and you're trying to prevent spread of COVID or whatever other virus to other people. So social distancing is the new norm now for all of us in the United States and, in fact, for most parts of the world. Social distancing means We're trying to minimize contact with other people to try to prevent and slow transmission of this virus. It means that schools are closing. It means that people should be working from home as much as they possibly can. It means we should stop traveling, stop going to the gym, stop gathering in crowds really of any size, stop having play dates. Importantly, what it doesn't mean, because I think as we think forward to the coming weeks and months of this pandemic, we think of this Social distancing as meaning we need to just stay inside of our homes. And I think that that's a recipe for unhappiness and increased anxiety. So we can go for walks. You can and should get out of your house and walk around. You can even walk with friends so long as you maintain a distance between you. We recommend six feet. You can play tennis, for example. You can and should keep in contact with the people you love. Use things like FaceTime, Skype, so that you can see the people that you love, lean on each other, and support each other. So social distancing is what we're all doing now, and it's our new normal. We need to be thinking about the ways that it can be bearable and protect our mental health, and exercise and leaning in our support systems is going to be central to that.
0: Well, that's important information. Thank you to Dr. Katie Anderson for her expertise on the coronavirus. She's an assistant professor of medicine at Upstate and an infectious disease epidemiologist. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's HealthLink air.